40 years ago, give or take. I had an opportunity to sit in a class with Dr. Jerry Jones at a little college in Arkansas called Harding University. Any of you heard of that? Two of you have. Any alumni besides me? Handful. All right. So I'm sitting in Jerry's class, and he makes an announcement to all of us preacher boys. He says, okay, guys, we're going to present sermons, and we're going to do it in the book of Romans. And he assigns all of us a particular passage in Romans. And he assigned me this verse of scripture. I think this works. About, I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a, Gent a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He said, Ed, you're going to preach on that. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this? What in the world am I going to do with this passage of Scripture? And I really think Jerry was just on the verge of writing a new book on the book of Romans, and he wanted all us preacher boys to do the research for him so he wouldn't have to do it himself. That's what I really think that was all about. That's what it was about. Because we did some serious exposition and some serious searching in the Greek text and all that kind of stuff, and that was way before anybody had invented computers and there was any software that had the Greek language on a computer. So I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, I have no idea what to do with this. And I kept digging and digging and digging and I looked at all of those words and I tried to figure out what in the world Paul had in mind. And then I finally stumbled across that phrase, priestly duty. In the Greek, it technically says ministering as a priest. And the thought came into my mind. I don't know where it came from, except maybe it was the latter part, something about the Holy Spirit put stuff in your head sometimes. I think he put this in my head. And I'm like, well, what in the world does it mean to minister as a priest? I didn't grow up in the Jewish church. In the I didn't go to synagogue. I didn't go to Sabbath school or any of that stuff. As a kid, I grew up going to a church of Christ in Pontiac, Michigan. So I didn't know what ministering as a priest was all about. And so I had to figure that out. And so I started digging and researching and looking. And I went back and I did tons of research on what exactly did the priests do and their responsibilities in serving the Jewish community in church, if you'll let me use that expression. And you know what? became the glaring, obvious, big exclamation point in my whole presentation, there's never a time in 24-hour day that the priests are not ministering. When did the fire ever go out in the temple? This means it never did. Because there was always someone who was there waiting for one of the beloved Jewish people to come in with an offering for whatever reason they needed to bring it and the priest was waiting to receive the offering so that it could be made on behalf of sin or blessing or whatever the offering was for. And the priests never were off duty. Do you know who else is not off duty? All of you. You remember what Paul said in Romans 12, first couple of verses? I urge you to offer your bodies as what? 
Living sacrifices. Let's say that again. Living sacrifices. Let's say that again, all of us together. Living sacrifices. Now, remind me again when you're not alive. Uh, when you're not alive. And there's only one time in your whole experience that you'll get to that point where you're not alive. And for those of us, sorry, Mike, i got to keep remembering not to do that. I want us to realize that our lives as believers are ones where we are constantly ministering and doing the duty of ministering as a priest. You're never not on duty. Ever. Now, some of you know this about me, some of you don't. If you're a guest, I, I just want you to know this, full disclosure, I don't work full-time at the church. I have a day job, just like most everyone else in here, unless you're retired, I have a day job. Monday through Friday, sometimes on Saturday, I work in another industry, but I show up here on Sundays and I preach. And I don't know how I do it either some weeks, Doug, but I'm here week after week. And if it weren't for the song leader, Brandon, pushing my buttons every Monday afternoon, saying, what's the theme for this week? I might not get a sermon until Thursday or Friday, but he's got to have the PowerPoints by Wednesday, so it helps. Keep me on task. Praise God is right. If it weren't for him, you might not ever have a sermon up here, which might not be a bad idea. <laughs> but I want you to realize we're not ever off duty. We're constantly on duty. Your husband's still in law enforcement? It's every time he's not on duty? I mean, in a sense, there isn't, is there? There's not. Had a very, very dear friend who worshiped with us at the church back in Atlanta, the Gwinnett Church of Christ. I won't call his name or anything because I don't want to disclose his identity, but that brother, he was a deputy sheriff, and he was never not off duty. And I was the most well-protected preacher in all of Gwinnett County because if he was awake and alive, he was packing. And he wasn't packing just one little gun. He had one like right here, he had one like right here, and he had one like right here. And he had enough in the back of his car, we could have fended off four, five, six, seven different terrorists at any one time. I'm just telling you, he was that kind of a guy. And I felt great to be preaching in that church. And he always said, if you ever hear me say the word drop, he said, you better hit the ground because I'm going to come up shooting. Praise God. Never had the word drop shouted out of my church. That was great. But I want you to realize we're never off duty. Ever. Ever ever off duty. So I don't care if you're playing soccer. I don't care if you're babysitting your grandkid. I don't care if you're at work on your nine to five job. I don't care if you're sitting in a church building on Sunday waiting for the preacher to get on to the next screen in the PowerPoint. I don't care where you're at or what you're doing. You're never off duty. We are priests. Peter teaches us in his writings that we are a royal priesthood. We are priests of God now. We don't have to have a priest between us and God. Jesus Christ is our immediate intercessor. And we go before the Father. We boldly proclaim and approach the throne of grace. That's what God tells us to do in his word. So our job is to truly proclaim the gospel. So this morning I want to just do a little brief overview of Romans because we've been studying in the adult class, we spent some time here the last week, and I want to share some things with you from Romans to help us understand what Paul is talking about when he says that we are ministering as priests the gospel of Christ. Because the gospel is something for which we should never be ashamed. Paul writes in the first 
chapter, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Throughout this entire letter, there's one woven thread that runs through it all about the gospel of Jesus. It is by faith. And I know Paul in some other letters and some other writings, I know if you read the, the, the letter that James wrote and if you look at some things that Peter said in his writings, even if you look at some of the things that Jesus said, there are some specific things that we're invited to and even asked and commanded to do by those who wrote those letters. But let me tell you what Paul got across in the book of Romans. It is by faith that anything is done. If you didn't have faith in God, who cares what you do and how you live? It doesn't matter. But if you have faith in God, there is an expectation as to how we should live. And it's not just any way we want to live. There's an expectation that we should obey those things which God has given us to obey, even the slightest of commands that are in the book. Amen and amen? Amen. But it's all by faith because it begins and ends with faith. Because without faith, what? It is impossible to what? Please him. Who what? What's the rest of that verse? Okay, we'll get there. Proclaiming the gospel, it is written, there's none righteous, not even one, there's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God, all have turned away, they together become worthless, there's no one who does good, not even one. We're all a bunch of heathen dogs in Paul's mind until we accept Christ in faith. And then we are the adopted children of God. We are heirs to the kingdom. Heirs to the kingdom. Do you realize that we get to go to this place where the streets are paved with gold and the walls are of jasper? Whatever jasper looks like. I'm thinking it's kind of silky, shiny, like the inside of oyster shells. And I don't know if that's what it is, but that's just the way I think about it. Because it looks kind of cool to me. I'm telling you guys, we get to walk on streets of gold. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. We are heirs to the greatest thing that's ever been offered. You know... My dad died several years ago. I was heir to his estate. I got a handful of coins. They weren't gold. They were silver, and I enjoyed getting them. My mother will pass away someday. And then we have this house we get to deal with. We'll be heirs to the estate. My brother and I, my two sisters, we've got to figure out what to do with all that stuff. Well, you know what? God's already figured all that out for us. Because when we pass, we inherit the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, you've already inherited it now. Because we, by faith, have accepted this. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So my question for you is, I want you to listen very carefully. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ who is the Son of the living God? You believe that? If you believe that, hold on, to that, hold on to that affirmation just for a minute because I'm going to show you something that I need you to understand as clear as the lights are shining and lighting up this room and as clear as you can read the words on that screen. I need you to hold that statement and that statement of belief that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Have you put your faith in Him? Do you believe who He is? Do you trust Him for who He is? Because here's the reality. If you believe that, Paul teaches us that because we are justified by faith, we also should be buried with him through baptism. 
So let me just stop right here and talk about this thing called baptism just a minute. Because there's a whole lot of teaching going on in the world that's a little confusing. I saw a video the other day. Uh, one, of the, one of the brothers in the church shared a link with me, and I watched this sermon, and I looked at the website of this particular church, and, and the guy said, baptism's not important. But baptism uh, service will be on Sunday, the third Sunday, or whatever month it is. And I'm like, wait a minute, dude. I didn't say that out loud, but I'm thinking that. I'm thinking, wait a minute. If baptism isn't important, but you're going to have a baptismal service, what is this thing about baptism all about? Well, it's about this. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and many of you affirm that, and if you have not been baptized then I would invite you before you leave this building today to allow us to baptize you. Amen. amen. Can I get another amen? amen? And here's why. It's because the book says to do it. I'm not really concerned whether you or I believe it's required or whether you and I believe stuff about it. What I'm telling you is the book says to do it. Amen. And if Jesus said to do it, if Paul said to do it, why don't you just get on with it and do it? Right here, we'll stop. I like it when people talk to me when I'm preaching. Do you realize that when Peter, you remember the, the, the household of Cornelius? I'm not going to go to the book of Acts. Remember the story of the household of Cornelius? Peter goes there. They've invited him in because he had this vision. He goes in there. And, and, and all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, just like on the very first day when the apostles were and in, in, in bowed with the Holy Spirit and it came on with this great mushing, rushing mighty wind, the Holy Spirit came on those in Cornelius' house. Do you remember that story? What did Peter say to them? What does the text say? Let me give you, give you a hint. It says, he commanded them to be baptized. Now, I know some of you are not comfortable with that word command because you don't really want anybody telling you what to do. And I understand that. I do. I don't like it at all when my wife tells me to do stuff. I don't, but I do it because I like being married and I like staying married. June the 9th, 40 years, she's been telling me what to do and it's good, it's working good and I don't want to stop, I don't want to mess that up. Well, guess what? God told you what to do right here. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You cannot have a new life in Christ until you die in a watery grave called baptism. And when you die there, you get a new life. And when you get that new life, guess what you also get? Inheritance. And you get to walk on the streets of gold where the walls are made of jasper. And there's a mansion, now empty, that's waiting for me. I know it's there. Because Jesus said, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to be with me. That's the promise of Jesus. And the promise of Jesus is fulfilled when we do this. 1 Peter 3.21, anybody know that one? The like figure, whereunto baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but what? The act of a clean conscience toward God. 
How are you going to show God you have a clean conscience? How are you going to show the world you have a clean conscience? How are you going to show the world you believe in Jesus if you've never been baptized? And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you've not been baptized, today is the day of salvation. So now there's no condemnation. You see, when we come into Christ, there's no condemnation. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing. We get all uptight and we fret about how much we can do or not do to stay in God's good graces. It's not about how much you can or can't do. When we accept Christ, when we're baptized to enter into that new life, then there becomes nothing that can separate us from from God. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life as you set free from the law and sin of death and now we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present nor future nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us. Nothing from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the gospel, the gospel is not what kind of songs you sing in church. It's not how much money you put in the basket. It's not what kind of clothes you wear or you don't wear. It's not the color of your hair. It's not the rings on your finger. It's not the car you drove here. It's not the house you live in. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message of the cross. And when you and I die to ourselves, we die, we're buried again in that thing called baptism. We get a new life. And then nothing can separate from us that love that we find in Jesus Christ. Nothing. Look at that list. Death, life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth. Nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of Christ. I'll take those odds. Now, you can go to your grave and argue with somebody about whether baptism's essential or not. Good luck with that. Just good luck with that. I'll take these odds. I'll take this promise that this is mine. And I will stand in the assurance of that because I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to all of salvation. So, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your true and proper, your, your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the transformation begins when you walk into that grave called baptism and you're given new life. That's when it begins. Now, does it work just like that? Are you kidding me? No, no. Just because you were baptized yesterday doesn't mean you're saintly today. It just means you're saved. It just means you're saved. And you don't have anything in all the world that can now separate you from Jesus Christ. That's what it means. But it doesn't mean you're perfect. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to who said, I don't want to get baptized because I'm not perfect. I don't want to get baptized because there's hypocrites in the church. And my observation is, thank God there's hypocrites in the church. Because I couldn't come if there wasn't. Because I am one. My wife's in the nursery, but if she were in this room, she would say, amen. <laughs> she would bow her head, and we would all pray, 
and ask for God's mercy on me again. Dude, have any of you ever messed up? I mean, seriously. Come on. Come on. We all, I sound like Joe Biden. Come on, man. <laughs> Woo! I don't know if I should say that in Orange County or not, but that sounds like Joe Biden. Oh, my goodness. So I'm just telling you guys, you and I have to realize that, that baptism saves us. It doesn't make us perfect and have us the ability to do perfect things. It makes us perfect in the sight of God. You want to know why? Because when he looks at you, you know what he sees now? He sees the blood of Jesus. It's like having rose-colored glasses, except they're blood-colored glasses, which is kind of gruesome and yucky, but they're like rose-colored glasses now. When God sees you, he doesn't see you for who you are. He sees you because of what Jesus has done. He went to the cross and he shed his blood for all of us, for all of mankind. God saw the Lord give his son for the whole world. And when we come into that, he only sees us through that blood. And when he sees us through that blood, we are perfect in his sight. Have you ever, how many of you have a grandchild? I mean, okay, look at all these hands. Keep them up, keep them up. You have a grandchild. The first time you saw that baby, did you say, that is the ugliest child I've ever seen in my life? <laughs> Nobody says that when they see that first grandbaby. And when you hold, now see, I'm only speaking from observation because I don't have a grandbaby yet, okay? I don't have one. My kids are getting married this year, and some year I'll have one maybe. But I, but I hear people talk about it all the time, and I see postings like on Facebook and stuff. If I'd known that I could have had grandbabies and they'd been so good, I'd had the grandbabies first. You ever heard that? <laughs> I've heard that. I've seen that in print. Why is it we feel so good about a grandbaby? Because we see it through rose-colored glasses. Because when that baby is born, it is the most amazing, beautiful, absolutely wonderful thing in all the world. And then they turn three. <laughs> Seriously, they turn three. And guess what? The parents want to bring the kid to you more because they can't handle it. And they know that you'll spoil them and then send them home. But those who are grandparents have the luxury and the blessing and the opportunity to spoil their grandbabies, even when they're bad children. That's what God does for us. Because he's given us a home in heaven. He's given us all of the world to claim it's our own. Guys, it's amazing to walk in the, in the footsteps of Jesus. It's amazing to be a Christian. It's amazing to have the opportunity to share with people the gospel. For the kingdom of God isn't a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. He didn't ask us to make it hard for people to become Christians. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look at what James said when Peter showed up, in, or when Paul showed up to tell him how much he'd done for all the Gentiles, and they were arguing about whether the, they should circumcise him or not, James, the brother of Jesus, says, we should not make it hard for them to become Christians. And they didn't require the Gentile men to go through that. Had to be painful. Process of circumcision. He didn't, they didn't require it. And the most important thing he says about that is we don't want to make it hard. You and I don't want to make it hard for people to become believers in Christ. But sometimes the way we live and act, you wonder why anybody would want to be a believer. Because they're around us. And I'm telling you, Jesus wants us to shed Peace and mutual edification wherever we go. If we walked around speaking in the name of Jesus with peace and love in our hearts rather than condemnation and judgment, oh man, it's amazing how people react to you when you come to them in the peace of Jesus.
It's amazing. I don't know why. Well, I do, but I can't tell you how many times I have met people that I didn't know from Adam. I didn't know them. I didn't know them. And when I'm leaving them, they say something like this about the conversation we've had and experience we've had. You bring such peace. And they find peace. And with all my heart, do you know why they find peace after we've chatted? Because God said, live in a way and make every effort to do that which leads to peace and mutual edification. I'm not in the business of tearing people down. I'm in the business of building them up. Not so they can live the way they want to live and do anything in the world, but I'm in the business of building them up in the name of Jesus. I'm in the business of bringing peace in the name of Jesus. And guess when that happens? All the time. Because I'm never off duty. I only preach on Sunday, but I'm never off duty. And it doesn't matter where we're at. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter with whom we're speaking or visiting. This should govern our conversation and our lives with people. Peace, mutual edification. If we approach the world in that perspective, we might just give more people the opportunity to accept Christ. Paul says that Christ gave them the priestly duty to proclaim the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading to the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And did you notice in that brief introduction and overview of Romans, there's nothing about a lot of stuff that we get all uptight about in church. There's nothing. The power of the message of Jesus is in the power of the message of the cross. Jesus gave his life for you. He gave his life for the sorriest, no good for nothing that you could ever even imagine or speak their name. He gave his life for them. Praise God. Praise God. And you and I have a responsibility all the time because we're never off duty. We have a responsibility to take the name of Jesus with us. There's a call comes ringing over the restless way. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. The blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light. Send the gospel light. Let it shine forevermore. Our greatest responsibility is be a beacon of light and of hope and peace in a world that is full of darkness. And Jesus says, when the darkness is exposed to the light, it comes into the light. 
He said that. Our job is to bring light into a world of darkness whenever and however often we can because we're never off duty and bring it into the light of Christ. And in doing so, give people an opportunity to make the good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died on a cross for my sins. And based on that confession, you now have an opportunity to baptize them into Jesus because they believe. And if they believe that, we need to make sure they get into the family and they receive the inheritance. And then they can live that new life and they can take the peace of Jesus with them. And I almost fell off the stage again. Come and lead us in this song. I encourage you, if you're here this morning and you've not obeyed Jesus in baptism, it's ready. We can move these tables with dresses on. They need to be shipped out anyway. And we want to invite you to take advantage of this opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We're going to sing the song, Send the Light. I just quoted the part of the refrain to you, so hopefully you'll know the words. I want to invite you to accept Jesus. I want to invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I want to invite you this day to put him on in baptism. If you believe, but you haven't, why would you wait another day? That's another song. We should sing that sometime. Let's stand and sing.